All right, good morning, everyone. So wonderful to be here worshiping together and also continuing in many ways our atmosphere of worship by coming to God's Word. And I really trust that God has something to say to us this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Stephen, and I'm so privileged to lead here at Riverside Community. Now, growing up, probably my favorite sport was cricket. Now, if you've ever had boys in your household when they've been growing up and they love cricket, you would know that they're going to play cricket in every form. Squash ball cricket inside, tennis ball cricket outside, pool cricket, garden cricket, practice in the nets, on the beach. It doesn't really matter. A friend of mine were on holiday once and we were sleeping there overnight and we found a spatula and a piece of paper that we rolled up into a ball and played three hours of cricket. And in case you've never done this, the way you do it is you set up your teams. And either you roll the dice and you're Australia and I'm South Africa, or you pick your favorite players and you go through the batsmen, you go through the bowlers, and that is how I spent my childhood. The only thing I wish I could have done differently was just have been a little bit better at crickets. Now, talking about cricket, some of you will know the following two names. Hailing from the UK, one of the greatest cricketers we've ever had, Ian Botham. All-rounder, just always, just we look at him as such a great cricketer. And then, of course, one of the greatest batsmen we've ever had from the West Indies, Viv Richards. Now, some of you would know and remember a time where in South Africa's history, because of apartheid and because of the policies, we were cut off from the international sporting community. And so what the cricketers here tried to do was organize these rebel tours where other teams would come and they would play here. They would actually get paid quite a large amount of money because it would keep our interest in cricket going, international interest in cricket going. But there were two names that they couldn't get here no matter how much they offered them financially. And that was Ian Botham and Viv Richards because of their conviction concerning what was happening here in South Africa. And in one of the attempts to get Viv Richards over here, they even said to him this, we will even make you an honorary white man. And you can imagine that went down like a lead balloon. Now, in some ways, the conversation has moved on. In other ways, we are still fighting tooth and nail about things concerning race and culture. In some ways, some wounds have been healed. In other ways, there are fresh wounds or old wounds that are no longer healed. In some ways, no longer is this simply a conversation for South Africa, but this is a global conversation. One that is so politically driven where we often lose sight of real people as long as we are shouting our agenda loudly and we don't know how to have helpful conversations. And what that means, though, is when the church comes to speaking around racial and cultural and ethnic issues, we get 
hushed. Why? No, now you're being political. Now it is true. The political world is trying to figure out how we can have conversations around this. And the best of our political conversations are trying to think how we can help us as a people move forward together in this. So yes, politics has something to say. But believe it or not, the scriptures have a ton to say about race and ethnicity and culture and us all being made in the image of God and how that plays itself out when there are frictions in this area. Some of you may, may know that we started a book of the Bible last week, a book of the Bible known as the book of Galatians. And one of the things we like to do is when we come to a book like this, is we allow providentially God's word to set the preaching agenda. And so the preaching agenda for us today is to deal with these issues because the book of Galatians deals with these issues. And so I don't know where each of you are at individually on this, but I ask that we just take a deep breath we're not trying to be political yet. We're trying to be biblical. Hear some truth that's gonna challenge us. Even more importantly, receive from the heart of God. And most importantly, hopefully, we can put something profoundly into practice because that is the goal of God's word. So before I read from the book of Galatians, as I've often mentioned here at Riverside, when Paul or anyone else for that matter sits down to write scripture. They're not sitting down going, I wonder what I can write down to help Riverside through their theology in 2,000 years time. Paul's not writing a systematic book of theology. There is a context into which he is writing. He's addressing a very real challenge and what he does is he starts off with truth. What can we know that is true about Christ and the heart of God? We call that theology. And then once we've understood some of the theology, well, what does that look like practically in our new Jesus communities? And that is exactly what is going on here. To remind you what we mentioned last week, in this particular book, the background was Paul had gone into the region of Galatia, planted a whole bunch of churches, and after he left, some Jewish converts to Christianity had come into these churches, but they were preaching what Paul calls a different gospel, a perverted gospel. What Paul calls in chapter one, no gospel at all. Paul has strong feelings about this. You see, these Jewish converts were saying, okay, fine, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. And so we can come to faith in God through Christ. But if you want to live out true Christianity, you have to adhere to the entire Old Testament too. And Paul says, when you take Jesus and you add Moses, you get nothing. Because the gospel is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So that's the theory. And so these Judaizers, this is what they were called, were going into these churches. 
and were dividing the churches theologically, in other words, what they had to say about the truth of salvation, and they were, they were dividing the churches racially and culturally and ethically. So Paul is saying, no, we need to deal with this. You see, if we take just the bird's eye view of what is going on here, take one step back. You see, what happened was Jesus was a Jew and Jesus was the Jewish Messiah and Jesus quoted from the Jewish scriptures and he claimed to fulfill the Jewish scriptures. And so for the first while, the Christian church was Jewish. Almost like a, a subset of Judaism. But if you read through the book of Acts, you would see that slowly Gentiles started receiving the grace of God in Christ. They started getting saved. And each time these happened, the church leaders went down to check it out and they realized this is real. This is really what God is doing. Then they would go back and read the Old Testament scriptures and they would say, guys, we've missed this. This was God's plan all along. And more and more and more Gentiles started coming to faith, which was wonderful. But in all of these churches, there was this increased friction between Jews and Gentiles. And that is the context into which Paul is writing. And so we're gonna read from chapter two, verses 11, 11 to 12. This is where, what Paul writes, he says, when Cephas, now Cephas is just a Greek name for Peter. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles. Why? Because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The first point that comes out of these verses here this morning is that the gospel confronts my prejudices. The gospel confronts my prejudices. So here Paul is writing to the Galatian churches, but he's telling them a story about what happened at the church of Antioch, another church. Antioch was a big, bustling, cosmopolitan city where there were Jews and Gentiles coming to faith. And in this particular story, the relationship between Jews and Gentiles was a healthy one. It was a bit of a success story. And so Peter was there. He knew the gospel. He knew the truth. He came to know and love these Gentiles. And so he used to sit often and eat with him, which was a massive stretch for a Jew. One day, Evidently, we don't know exactly how to play it out, but, but one day, if you can imagine in your mind's eye, like in those movies where you see high school cafeterias, and there's the jock sitting here, and the cheerleader sitting there, and the, the geek sitting over there, and who you sit with says loads about who you are and who you're willing to associate with. And so Peter's having a meal with these Gentiles and then some big heavies 
some big heavy theologians, Jewish theologians, probably people that, that Peter knew. He had studied Torah with and they walk in and Peter just knows as he's eating with these Gentiles that they are judging him badly. And they're thinking to themselves, how can Peter, a Jew, sit and eat with these Gentiles? And so Peter caves under the pressure and he gets up and he goes and eats with them. Now maybe you can say, well, maybe these were old friends. What's wrong with going and sitting with some of your own kind, some of your old friends? But at some point it became obvious that this wasn't just saying, how's it to my old friends? At some point it became obvious that Peter was no longer in front of these guys willing to eat with Gentiles. Why? Because he was afraid of what they would think. And because of that fear, Paul does something almost unheard of. He has this very public confrontation. John Stott, who writes on the book of Acts because a lot of this is going on in the book of Acts, he tries to help us to understand why this is such a big deal. And he says this, it is difficult for us to grasp the impossible gulf which yawned in those days between the Jews on the one hand and the Gentiles on the other. Not that the Old Testament countenanced such a divide. In fact, it affirmed that God had a purpose for the Gentiles. But by choosing blessing the Jews, he, God, intended to bless all the families of the earth. The tragedy. This is the prejudice that grew in the hearts of these guys. The tragedy was that Israel twisted this doctrine of election into one of favoritism. And they became filled with racial pride and hatred. They despised the Gentiles as dogs and developed traditions that kept them apart. No Orthodox Jew would ever enter the home of a Gentile. And all familiar intercourse with Gentiles was forbidden. So Peter fell back into his old routine, into his old prejudices. Now think about it. For Paul to stand up and publicly confront Peter on this issue, would you say, just to go back to something we said last week, we said that there are primary issues in the Christian faith about which we should be agreed. And of course, the gospel is front and center when it comes to primary issues. And then there are secondary issues about which we can debate, about which we should be charitable in our discourse. Would you say by Paul standing up publicly confronting Peter on his behavior that for Paul, this was a secondary issue or a primary issue? For Paul, this was a primary issue. We're gonna hear in a second that for Paul, this was a gospel issue, which is why he was so passionate about this. Now, whether you come from Raleigh, Durham, or whether you come from South Africa, or whether you come from any part of the world, or whether you come from all the different parts of South Africa, if we're honest with ourselves, every single person in this room, me included, grew up feeling comfortable around certain kinds of people and maybe feeling less comfortable around certain kinds of people. 
And here we are sitting. And maybe for us, this conversation should be a secondary issue. But here this conversation is being brought to the center. And as much as Paul had to confront Peter with the gospel, I want to say that for the rest of this message, are you willing to let the gospel confront your heart? Some of your assumptions, some of your beliefs, which are feeding into anti-gospel behavior. So I'm hoping that we are stepping into this vulnerable place. This takes us to our second point, And that is the gospel transforms my table. I wish the way the story went was, here was Peter sitting with the Gentiles and maybe a bit of inner dialogue from the author saying, and Peter felt uncomfortable at times. And then his old friends, the Jews, they came in and, and Peter could feel their displeasure. But Peter remembered what God had done for him in Christ and Peter knew that he loved these new Gentiles as brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and so Peter decided to, by conviction, continue sitting and eating. With the Gentiles come what may. That is how the story could have gone, but it didn't. You see, when we talk about things like the gospel, you and I have tended to privatize it so much that we can have this little private gospel experience that doesn't really transform how I live my life. And what Paul is saying to Peter, he's saying, Peter, when you get the gospel, that's gotta look like something. And in this particular case, what that's gotta look like is who you sit and eat with, who you do life with, who you have as important friends in your life. Someone that you guys would know well from your neck of the woods, J.D. Greer, who I, I, I love just reading him and listening to many of his messages. In talking about this, he says, listen, when some of us think about cultural differences in these communities of faith known as churches, for us, maybe the best possible image we can think of is a box of Smarties. What is a box of Smarties? A whole bunch of different colors living happily side by side together in the same box. Now, thank you for your amen, but I wanna take that thought further. As J.D. Greer says, he says, how about thinking about this like a stew? When you a stew, you put some carrots and some potatoes and some onions and some good short rib. And then when the stew is done, the beef hasn't ceased to be beef. The carrot is still a carrot, but the carrot has flavored the beef and the beef has imparted flavor onto the carrot. So he's suggesting instead of simply existing side by side, how about we grow in our humanity around the table in our friendships? And even at times, if it is difficult, we learn to impart good humanity and receive fresh humanity upon us. 
doesn't mean I'm going to cease being a white South African and you're not going to cease being an Indian or a Zulu South African. But what it does mean is you and I are going to be better for it and our church community is going to have way more flavor because of it. If we just go fast forward into the book of Revelation, what we don't see is some sort of kind of neutral Christian culture. Rather, what we see, the book of Revelation says 10 times, every tribe, every tongue, Somehow, don't ask me exactly what this is gonna look like in the new creation, but somehow we are gonna bring some of our culture with us and the best of our cultures and the best of what God has placed in our cultures. And somehow as we become this eternal stew, I hope that metaphor is actually making sense still. I don't know, are you hungry? I don't know what this is doing, but anyway. Somehow the best of each culture is represented around the throne and all of these languages are represented around the throne. That's our eternal future. And so when we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come now on earth as it is in heaven, that's what we ought to begin practicing today. Let's continue looking some of these verses, what we're gonna see here in the third point, and we've already alluded to this, is that the gospel unites my life and my faith, meaning the gospel unites what I believe and how I live. Let's see how that comes through these scriptures. Verse 13, the other Jews joined him, Peter, in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. See, once again, we can say we believe the gospel, but if we are living in such a way that our lives are inconsistent with the gospel, that is called hypocrisy. Now you may say, but Stephen, aren't we all hypocrites? Yes, to a great degree, we all are. But we need to realize that's not something to be celebrated. Yes, I can acknowledge a hypocrite, but do I want to stay there? Hypocrisy is not just something that happens in the quietness of your own home. What we see here is Peter's hypocrisy influenced others towards hypocrisy to the point that Barnabas, who's a great godly leader, was brought into hypocrisy. Our hypocrisy is gonna influence our friends and our family and our neighbors and sometimes even whole churches and sometimes even good church leaders. Let's read from verse 14. Paul speaking, he says, when I saw that they were not acting, please bold highlight, underline, in line with the truth of the gospel. This is not a secondary moral issue. This is not like, listen guys, as long as you read your Bible and pray, you're good with God. He's saying what Peter did was not in line 
with the gospel. That is why I said earlier that for Paul, this is a primary issue. This is a gospel issue, which is why Paul was willing to risk reputation by standing up and publicly confronting Peter. So very briefly, he unpacks the gospel, and I'm just going to touch on these verses very lightly because over the course of the next few weeks, this is going to be brought out in greater detail. But from verse 15, Paul is developing his arguments. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know, here's something we know, that a person is not justified, made right by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too, have put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we may be justified by faith in Christ. How are we made right with God? By faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul is reminding Peter, listen, any superiority that you may bring into this conversation needs to be blown apart. You, Peter, were not made right with God because of your ethnicity. You, Peter, were not made right by how you obeyed the law of God. And Peter, let me remind you that if you thought that was true, let me remind you of all the times you failed to obey the law of God. And so Peter, the theory is, You are saved by faith in Christ and by faith in Christ alone. And so Peter, if that is true of you and if that is true of these Gentiles, that's the wonderful theory. And now that's got to play itself out in what it looks like. And so Peter, for you, that means you're gonna be embracing these Gentiles as brothers sisters in Christ, and you're gonna be proud of it. And then you get to the next verse, and the big point behind the next verse is this, the gospel replaces my identity. Now, notice, I have started off all of my points with the two words, the gospel. It is the gospel that confronts my prejudices. It is the gospel that transforms my table. It is the gospel that unites my faith and life. And it is the gospel that replaces my identity. The reason why I'm highlighting this to you now is that please don't think that Paul is kind of saying out with the traditionalist stuffy laws and in with the new progressive laws. He's not saying that these points are the new laws of being a Christian. What he's rather trying to get Peter to understand is the gospel does something to me. The gospel does something in me. And then the gospel has to do something through me. And only then, once the gospel has done something to me and in me, can we start asking, well, what does that look like? And that brings us to a great verse, a verse that I've memorized, a verse that I'm sure many of you have memorized. And this is what Paul says in verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now this is one of the greatest verses in Scripture that define what it means to follow Jesus. And this verse can be applied to so much of the Christian walk, but if we just try and understand the immediate context into which Paul is writing here, it is in this context of Jews and Gentiles, the conflicts of Jews and Gentiles, the fact that Jews has this superiority con, uh, uh, concept because of the law, because of Moses and their own morality. They're looking down on the Gentiles. And Paul says, it is in this space that Paul needs to die because this isn't always easy. Think about it. If you're a Jew who grew up in this time In your entire life, you were told that you are superior to those people over there. Everything you ever heard was about us and them. And God's got special favor for you. And God's mad with them. And you've got the law and they don't. You are God's children, they're dogs. And now suddenly, Paul gets rocked by this idea that my salvation is in the person of Jesus Christ, not my ethnicity or my law. Gentiles are coming to faith in exactly the same way. They are loved by God as children in God's family in exactly the same way. And so I'm called to welcome them into my family as fully fledged sons and daughters in the faith. But Paul says, listen, this is hard. There's a couple of YouTube channels that I really enjoy watching. Both of them American guys, one who now lives in Vietnam and one who now lives in Thailand. And what they do is they go around the world and they look at different cultures and specifically through the lens of what different cultures eat. And I love it because most of the time, They're not going into the five-star hotels and restaurants. They're going to the street food. They're going to the houses in the village. They're trying to find out what grandma makes. And as they do that, they're going most of the time, wow, how is it? I have never heard about this. This food is rocking my world and I'm just drooling all over my phone screen. But there are most certainly moments when they get introduced to a food they're not familiar with, that is like, do I really have to eat that? And to them, it's not, you know, fear factor food. To them, it's food. And so as we go into different cultures, one of the different ways we're gonna experience cultures differently is around the table and what they eat. And for Jews, oh wow, you guys are eating prawns. I don't know if I wanna eat prawns. Now, I thank the Lord that we can eat prawns. But for Paul, bacon and prawns and some of this wonderful food, that was a strange thing to get used to. So Paul says, if I am to show the love of Christ to these brothers and sisters, I need to die to what is familiar to me. I need to die to my preferences 
and even my culture, Paul says, to reach those under the law, I became as one who was under the law. But to reach those who were not under the law, I became as one who was not under the law. To reach them. So Paul had to lay these preferences down and step into some very uncomfortable spaces for the sake of the gospel, living out the truth of the gospel and acting and living in line with the truth of the gospel. Now listen, as we respond today, the goal here is not to respond for political reasons. Regardless of where you stand politically, be it local politics or foreign politics, one thing I can promise you is this, regardless of where you stand, and even if your best thinkers are trying to wrap their minds helpfully around these issues, at some point, if the primary lens is politics, there is gonna be biblical compromise somewhere. I guarantee you that. And so our goal is not to not be political. Politics, if you look it up in the dictionary, is really just about how do we do civic life? How do we do life in the real world? And so yes, the gospel is political in the sense that when I know what is true about Christ, how does it affect how I live out in the real world? And we need to prioritize the gospel over and above my politics. I started off by saying that Paul wasn't just randomly writing theology. Why do you think, he's writing to the Galatian church. Why do you think he's telling them the story about what happened in Antioch at another church? Is it just so that they had more to preach on? Come on. Paul was telling the Galatian church what happened at the church at Antioch because the same Things were going down in the church at Antioch. And Paul was choosing to address, address it with right thinking and what right behavior looks like. But I also wanted to notice that while Paul very publicly confronted Peter, he didn't start off by shaming him. Hey, Peter, you're a racist. Now quit it. He says, hey, Peter, what you're doing is not in line with the gospel. Now, let's go back and have a look at the gospel. Peter, remember that you were not saved because of your skin color? Remember, Peter, that you were not saved because of your ability to keep the law? Remember, Peter, how you let Jesus down? Remember, Peter, how you had your foot in your mouth the entire time you're walking around with Jesus? You remember that, Peter. And do you remember, Peter, how Jesus still loved you and restored you and forgave you? Remember the gospel, Peter. Now that you've remembered the gospel, let's go back to what this looks like in this area of life. Listen, when we start, whether it's on social media or on various platforms or around the table starting to just accuse everyone of being a racist, even if we are right, all we're doing is increasing shame and our own personal sense of superiority. That's not what is going on here. Let's go back to the cross. Let's go back to the gospel. Let's go back to grace 
that was freely given and not earned in any way by me. And when I am reminded of that, the whole idea is I'm set free to embrace anyone and everyone. Listen, if I can be honest with you, I've got a way to go on this. I don't know if the gospel has finished its transformation in my heart. I don't know if Riverside has finished the work that God is wanting to do in our hearts. In fact, I can guarantee you that God is still working on us in this area. We've still got a way to go, but having said that, here's something that I am convinced of, and maybe I'm being idealistic here. But the church of Jesus Christ has the opportunity to be the hope of South Africa. We're all asking, how do we do this? How do we recognize the equality of humanity? How do we deal with some of our hurts? How do we deal with some of our superiority? How do we move to a place where we're no longer in a smarty box, but we're loving each other in such a way, we're receiving love in such a way, we are transformed. Listen, we're all putting our hope in politics. We're all waiting for the person who's gonna come up and say the right things to fix our nation. Now that may or may not happen, most likely not. But if I read my Bible correctly, I believe that the church of Jesus Christ has all the resources it needs to start living out a different kind of community. As we lean into this, as we at times get uncomfortable, as we even stumble forward in our mistakes with graciousness and forgiveness all around, I can't think of a different system that has the power to change entire communities. Before we start throwing ice on how churches are not doing this well, who is the church? It is you. And so I challenged you at the beginning, are you gonna allow the gospel to challenge you? the gospel to transform how you think and therefore how you behave in this area. So I wanna pray and just maybe facilitate a response to God for each and every single one of us. Father, if we think about people who are different, sacrificing greatly for people who are different to them, we do not get a larger gap between sinful humanity and the perfect righteous person of Jesus Christ and how you didn't call us to climb the ladder to heaven, but you climbed down the ladder to us only to climb on a cross for our forgiveness, to break the dividing wall that separates us from our brothers and sisters, to destroy it once and for all. I don't think there's a person in this room, God, if we're gonna be honest with ourselves, that doesn't have some repenting to do, that isn't getting on our knees in humility. 
And so, Lord, you're not trying to shame us, but you are trying to wake us up and inspire us with a brand new vision of some of the dreams that you have for your people. And that includes me. And God, I only ask that our response won't be to a preacher on a stage, but the work of the Holy Spirit inviting every single one of us to lay down some of our thinking, to lay down some of how our bad thinking has led to actions that are not in line with the gospel. But Lord, would the gospel loom large in our minds and our hearts? With the thing that transforms us is not a new set of behaviors, but how we have been made right with God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as Paul says, Paul needs to die. Stephen and Riverside needs to die so that we can live lives of faith, lives committed to the Son of God who gave his life for me to quote these verses. Jesus, we want more of you in our communities. And if I can be so bold as to say, I think without you, we're gonna continue failing. So God, would you impart great grace amongst us this morning? Resources and transformation that do not come with, from within me. We need your grace. We need the vision of the gospel. And Father, moving on from there, you are challenging us to live in accord with the gospel. And that's gonna look like something. My table, my social network is gonna look like something because of the gospel. So God give us great courage. Peter was afraid of what his peers would think. Most certainly we're gonna have those who misunderstand us and judge us. So Holy Spirit, give us the courage and conviction of the gospel. Great love. We need you. We need you, Jesus. Church, we have opportunities to live this out every single week. And while the focus of this message is around ethnic and racial boundaries that divide us, by extension, it is not only those things that divide us. We know there are other things that divide us. There are certain kinds of people that we feel uncomfortable around for different reasons where we've prejudged them. So every Sunday, we've got an opportunity to maybe get uncomfortable. To move beyond our own tribes. This isn't just about having a friendly church. This is about the gospel. I cannot stress that enough. So as we do fellowship, may the Lord transform us. But as we take this into our homes, 
May the Lord transform our homes and our tables. As we take this into our business places, would the Lord transform how we do this? Because we are new people in Jesus Christ. Church, so often when I wrap up here, I'm so aware that the real work has to be continued by the Lord as we walk out of this place. And so may the Lord continue to work in you and work on your heart. May the Spirit continue His transformation in you. May the gospel continue growing in your heart and mind. And may that look like something because of what the Lord is doing in us. And all God's people said, Amen, amen. Just a reminder.